Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Fruit Snacks. Today we're going to pick up our discussion about whether or not the Bible endorses slavery, or at the very least, doesn't condemn slavery. And what that would mean, not only for the doctrine of Scripture, but also for our own Christian worldview. And on Monday's episode, we sort of as a way of review, discussed that our modern context for slavery is a particular kind of slavery known as chattel slavery, which essentially boiled down to kidnapping and what we would call in modern terms, human trafficking. But by contrast, Hebrew slavery, which is the kind that was practiced within Israel, even though there were other ancient Near Eastern cultures that did practice something akin to chattel slavery, Hebrew slavery was really more along the lines of indentured servitude. In other words, what was owned when you were a Hebrew slave was your work, not you as a person. And that's really one of the main distinguishing characteristics between the kind of slavery we find in the Old Testament among God's people and the slavery that we witnessed in the last several hundred years in the modern world. Now, there were several kinds of reasons or ways that a Hebrew might become a slave or that someone else might become a slave in Hebrew culture. The first was through debt, and this could be debt owed to a fellow Hebrew. If you could not pay your debt, you could sell yourself into slavery or into service to this person for a fixed period of time. And upon the expiration of that time, your debt was considered paid. So you basically went to work for this person for a period of time in order to pay off a debt that you couldn't pay in cash. So instead of paying it with money, you paid with your work and your time. Another way in which a person could become a slave in Hebrew culture was really akin to something like serfdom. And this would occur in... Uh, foreigner situations when the Israelites were in the conquest and they were making their way into the promised land and through there and they were uh, basically taking the land for themselves that God had promised them. Often there was a uh, battle or a siege of some of these cities that were in the promised land but we also read about times where the Hebrews would basically Instead of laying siege to the city, they would give the citizens a choice that we don't have to fight if you pledge to be our slaves. Now, again, that's not the same thing as what we think of with chattel slavery, because what ended up happening is those foreigners were basically grafted in as foreigners if they chose not to convert to Judaism, and they would live under the leadership and the purview of the Hebrews, and they would serve. They would do things for them. However, as we're going to see uh, throughout the rest of this week, there were certain privileges that would apply to all people, 
not just slaves, but even foreigners that would not be applied in situations outside of Hebrew culture. And so even the foreign slaves were given privileges and rights that frankly were kind of unheard of outside of the Hebrew culture. Another way in which slavery could occur, and this one will strike our ears as very odd because it's not how we do things in our culture, is arranged marriages. Now, in ancient culture, there was something called the dowry or the bride price, which was a payment that needed to be made in order to secure the bride so that if the marriage didn't happen, the bride would be left with something of an inheritance or a nest egg, if you will, to fall back on so she didn't become destitute. And you can see that there are examples in scripture where someone simply could not pay the bride price because they weren't wealthy. We see this in the Bible with Jacob and Laban. When Jacob sold himself to Laban for a period of seven years in order to uh, gain the hand of Rachel, except Laban tricked him and he ended up marrying Leah instead. And so because he wanted to be with Rachel, he sold himself for another seven years. And this is a way that we can see a perfect example of uh, slavery being used in order to facilitate uh, an arranged marriage. Jacob was not treated poorly. In fact, he was treated like part of the family uh, outside of the fact that his father-in-law was kind of a scumbag. But that was an example of this kind of slavery that we see within Scripture. And then there are examples, and we even see in the book of Exodus, references to young girls being sold into slavery by their fathers. And once again, that strikes us as so odd. There's just something on the surface about that that just seems wrong to us. But once again, we need to remind ourselves that in this culture, in this time, Every single marriage was an arranged marriage. And so what was actually going on here is not anything immoral or indecent, but rather if a girl was going to be married into a household, and it usually would have been a household of a higher uh, socioeconomic status, she was basically moving up in the social ladder, she could be sold as a servant into the eventual household of her in-laws before she was old enough to marry. And by entering her eventual family's home early, she would be covered by this family and she would be cared for until she was old enough to marry, at which point she would no longer be considered a slave. She would be considered a wife or by the head of the household, the patriarch, she would be considered a daughter. And so this was a way of basically a poor family could, or a poorer family could guarantee that their daughter would be better cared for than they could provide uh, even earlier than she would have been able to be if they had waited until she was of a marriable age. The point I want to make through all of this is in Hebrew culture, and we see this in scripture itself. Slaves could not be abused. That's a huge differentiator right there compared to something like chattel slavery. They were to be freed 
actually, if they were injured purposefully or even accidentally, if their ability to uh, earn uh, income for themselves was somehow compromised, like an injury to their face or to their sight. Slaves also observed the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, not only did the Hebrews not work, nobody worked. It was a day off for everyone as a way of remembering God and worshiping him. Hebrew slaves were also released after six years or on a jubilee, as we see in the example of Jacob and Laban. Their service could not extend forever. It would be for a fixed period of time, and then their debt, whatever they were working for, was considered paid. And finally, if a runaway slave, a foreign runaway slave, entered into Hebrew territory, they were not allowed to be uh, taken back into slavery, and they certainly weren't returned. They were actually be, they were actually to be treated as if they had asylum. So Hebrew culture became a safe haven for runaway slaves. All these things might actually seem kind of progressive to us if we look at it compared to other ancient cultures. And so on Friday's episode, we're going to look at just a couple more things to do with this, and then we're going to wrap up with a summary of this topic. So I hope to see you then.